Harp on Sports with Seth Harp. You know what time it is. Three, two, one. Let's do this. Go, bartenders. Go, food needs refill. Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, radio network, at Harp on Sports, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Fun Sports, the Facebook page. Also, the bar, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, and HarpOnSports.com, along with the Harp on Sports YouTube channel. What do we have in store for you on this edition of the program? Uh, college football playoff push. I think both games are going to be competitive. I think one gets out of hand a little bit late, but I think they're both good football games. Also, we have new Hall of Fame finalists, 15, to be enshrined in Canton. Really? Not a very strong class. I do think there are three guys that aren't up for debate, and then the rest have at it, including Tony Baselli. Once again, and this is what try six for him. We're getting to that art monk eight, nine try category. Now we are, we're getting there. We're getting close. So we're going to look at that as well. And John Madden gone at the age of 85. His legacy is threefold to me. John Madden broadcaster to my dad, John Madden coach of the Raiders to the next generation behind me, the name on the video game. I'll look at John Madden, the broadcaster, and how he revolutionized that position and what he does that you still see today, people do, and why he set the tone for modern-day color commentary. He did. Where to begin? College football playoff, looking at things when it comes to this. I think the Georgia-Michigan game is going to be a better football game than the Alabama-Cincinnati game. The Alabama-Cincinnati game, both of these games come down to two simple factions, two simple thought processes. The Alabama game is entirely based on whether or not Cincinnati's front four can put pressure on Bryce Young. If Cincinnati's defense can put pressure on Bryce Young, you're going to have a football game. If they can't get to him, good night. Good night. They're going to have to get pressure on him. They just are. Can they? At all? Because when you get to these bowl games in which you have the Alabamas of the world or these major programs of the world, the Clemsons of the world, the biggest mismatches ever is like, oh, they can't. Keep up with their speed. The receivers, they can't cover them. The mismatches occur up front. The offensive line of Alabama is so strong in these games. Alabama's offensive line, you go back and look at the national championships that they've won, their offensive line is dominated. Yeah, when their quarterback has six seconds to throw the ball every play, going to pick you apart. The key to all this, this whole entire game, 13 and a half point spread, the key to it is George's defensive front. Can they put pressure on Bryce Young? Can they put enough pressure on him for 60 minutes and force probably two turnovers? Could Cincinnati do it? Yeah, they could. But when you have a non-power five, group of five, going up against a big bad wolf, the group of five has to play perfect, and the big bad wolf has to play one of their worst games of the year, and those things need to line up. It, to me, it's just too much. It is just too much. I, I think Cincinnati will be competitive. I do. I think Alabama scores late to put it on ice. I think this thing's like a 27-17 type of game. With about four minutes to go, Alabama scores, gets up like 34-17, and that's it. I think it's, it's going to be that type of football game. So I take Alabama and, and go ahead and Cincinnati take the points. I think 13 and a half is too low. I think that's the type of game it's going to be. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a game as you watch it and as you consume it, you sit there to yourself and say, oh, okay, well, Cincinnati, okay. Oh, Cincinnati's proving that they belong. Oh, okay. Interesting. Because the whole debate was, well, they didn't belong. Well, then who did belong then if they didn't? You kind of had this nice bubble there at the top where everybody pretty much, you know, Notre Dame belonged, but Cincinnati didn't know. Cincinnati beat them. Those are the four teams that get it. And I think Cincinnati will be competitive and prove that they deserve to be there. Lost, what, one football game in two years? Two football games in two years? Pretty good football team. Including a lot of, they had the Peach Bowl one last year. 
So that's how I think that thing works. But the key to this is all Cincinnati's defense against Alabama's offensive front. That's everything. On the inverse over Michigan and Georgia, it's exact opposite. I know Michigan's defense is going to be able to do some things. They're too good not to. The key to that thing is entirely Michigan's offensive front against Georgia's defensive front. The keys to this, Georgia's defense is going to have to put pressure on Michigan. Georgia's defense is going to have to disrupt things. Because what's Michigan do? They like to be physical. They like to run the ball. It's like, well, Georgia's offensive line shut down Michigan's defensive line. That's not going to happen. It's not. You can file that away. It's just not going to happen. Like I said, when it comes to the Cincinnati game, it's like Georgia's or Cincinnati's defensive front shutting down Bryce Young. That's not going to happen. That's just not realistic. Putting pressure on him is realistic. Georgia's defensive offensive front will shut down Michigan. That's not going to happen. But usually when you get into these SEC games, it's defensive lines that cause damage. Alabama's offensive lines, their bread and butter. How do they succeed? Well, how do they get to where they are? It's because they run the football, they control the clock, and they protect the quarterback. Can you dismantle that at all? Can you disrupt that at all? Conversely, again, with Michigan and Georgia, it is all about whether or not Michigan's offensive line, which was the biggest in college football for decades, if Michigan's front can push around the front four of Georgia. And they did. They ate Ohio State's front four alive. And Ohio State's front four defensively mirrors that of an SEC school. It does. That's the type of talent they have up front. Look at Chase Edwards. Look at all the guys that they put in the NFL. The Boses. Look at all the guys. The, 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 look at all the guys that they shove into the NFL. Whatever Bosa you want to pick. Chase Young. They just churn these guys out. And Michigan's offensive line ate them alive. So it's... There's your scenarios. That's how those things play out. I think seven and a half points is way too salty. You know, I'm trying to talk myself out of Michigan, but I just can't do it. I can't. And I've seen Kirby Smart wilt in big games. Yeah, they beat Oklahoma once in the playoff. Yeah, they did. That's because Baker Mayfield, you know, whatever Lincoln Riley was thinking with offensive play calling there, Jim Harbaugh is not going to make that mistake. He's not. And when I have doubts, I go with a better line up front. Michigan's defensive line over Georgia's offensive line. Do I think Michigan's offensive line accepts this as a challenge? You bet I do. I think Michigan beats them. I think Michigan beats Georgia 17 to 14. So I like Michigan and Alabama to play for the national championship. I think it's going to be a great one. I think it's going to be a great one. But I like Michigan to beat Georgia. By the way, what's SEC now? One and six in bowl games? <sighs> Struggling. Well, that's because everybody's opting out. Yeah, no other conference has any players opting out. This is where where the SEC gets mocked and gets made fun of. You know, they're the best conference in the country because they have the best talent. Look at all the players that get drafted. That's why they're the best conference, the best players in and out. Then you get week in and week out, then you get to a bowl game. And in the past, the SEC will go like seven and three, eight and three in bowl games. Like, look how dominant we are. One and six. Well, look, we don't. That's why you get the reputation. We didn't care about that game. Oh, okay. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. What the SEC does is you have your smaller tier teams that feast by playing two FCS schools or a couple of really, really weak ponies, and that gets you bowl eligible, and those teams get in there and they get mismatched. But look, Purdue beats Tennessee. When Tennessee, Josh Heupel, I don't know what he's doing in overtime, not kicking field goals because he's just zero faith in his defense. I, well, look, I, it's, it's okay. Right now, Carolina, right? South Carolina is your, your shining beacon. They're the Batman signal for the conference. There's your playoff. I think it's going to be good. I, I really, really do. So, Switching gears from that to the NFL and the Hall of Fame finalists announced. And I was going through and looking at it. To me, to me, there are two locks when it comes to this. Now, will they be locks? I don't know. There should be two guys that are locks. Andre Johnson and Devin Hester. Those guys should be locks. Will they be? Don't know. Should they be? Yeah, (laughs) they should be. 
Don't know if they're going to be, but they should be. So then after I look at that, now I'm trying to, okay, we're five, six guys. How does this work? Where, where do we go after these guys? And this is how I look at it. Then at that point, Hester's a kick returner. He's a specialist. I get it. But Wayne's a receiver. Wayne, excuse me. Andre Johnson's a wide receiver. So I, I start thinking about Reggie Wayne. And then you have Torrey Holt. There's a lot of receivers in a log jam. Do they want to clear this log jam? Can they put three receivers in? Seldom do they do that. So Hester, Andre Johnson are in. That'll be the first Texan in the Hall of Fame. So that would leave just the Jaguars without a Hall of Famer. So I would take a step back then at that point and look around and say, okay, if if it's really Hester and Andre Johnson, then where's that next wave? Well, you have a log jam at defensive back safety too with Leroy Butler and Rondé Barber. Nick, the last thing you want is three or four guys at a position again. So they're going to look to avoid that as much as possible because they just worked for years to clear up that log jam in the secondary. They just worked for years to do that. They're putting one, two, one, two guys in every year. And now they've got two guys. They're going to look, okay, well, let, well, well we, we cleared that log jam next year. Well, no, because what you don't want is in four finalists as DBs, and then you're, you're back to doing this all over again. So I think they'll pick one of those two guys. Leroy Butler or Rondé Barber, they'll pick one of them. Both of them aren't going to get in. One of them will. So to me, let's just say for argument's sake, just for purpose, let's say it's Leroy Butler. Let's just say it is. We can pick Rondé Barber. It doesn't matter. So let's just say it's Butler. So now you have Andre Johnson, Devin Hester, Leroy Butler. Now how does the rest of this work? Well, then at that point, you've got Reggie Wayne, which would be a third wide receiver. You have Jared Allen. You have Demarcus Ware. And you have Tony Baselli. So you have those four guys for two spots. To me, it's Reggie Wayne, Demarcus Ware, Tony Baselli, and Jared Allen. Four guys for those two spots. It's not the strongest class. There's no slam dunk. Oh my gosh, he's a lock. No questions asked. There's not that guy. I, I think Andre Johnson is there, but will he be catapulted up? There's receivers in there that, what was it, Tim Brown that retired third in every category? Chris Carter, when he retired, was second or third in every offensive category as a receiver, and those guys didn't get in right away. It took Tim Brown like five tries. So that if I've learned anything from wide receiver, there are no locks at wide receiver. No such thing. Calvin Johnson got in right away, but no such thing. Again, you got three finalists at wide receiver with Andre Johnson. Well, four if you count Devin Hester. Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt, Devin Hester. So there are four, so I think they're going to put two of those guys in. And look, Hester's the greatest return man of all time. When you have the greatest at a position, I don't care what that position is. Like Vinatieri, greatest kicker of all time. Boom, he's in. Devin Hester, more kick returns, more, more, more punt returns for touchdowns, kickoff returns. How's this a debate? Well, it's all he did. I don't care. All Mariano, did, all Mariano Rivera did was close games. All David Ortiz did was DH. Who cares? Greg Maddox pitched. So I didn't play D. Greg Maddox was out there stealing bases, turning double plays, catching. So uh, the way I look at it, that those two, Andre Johnson, Hester, are in. and then after that, they're going to clear up a log jam at defensive back or safety, excuse me, Leroy Butler, Rondé Barber. That's the third. And then your fun begins. Marcus Ware, Jared Allen, Tony Baselli, Reggie Wayne. Those four guys, two guys funneling for those spots. Um, Fred Taylor didn't make the t- final 15 again. Gator, Jaguar, t- look, should he? Yeah. Should he? Yes, he should. And Fred's going to be one of those guys that 
It's probably going to take a decade for Fred to get in. Truth be told, it's probably going to take a decade for Fred to get in. But here's what's going to happen. As time goes by, fewer and fewer running backs are going to eclipse massive yardage just because of the injury and what the toll in that position holds. So what's going to happen as time goes by, Fred's going to sit there. Running backs aren't going to put up the numbers that they used to, and his numbers are going to look better and better. But Fred's just going to – I think once Fred – he's going to get into the top 15. He's going to be a discussion one year. And the best thing for Fred is fewer running backs in there. Like the Frank Gores of the world. When those guys start to Adrian Peterson, those guys start to retire and those numbers get there. It's going to be tough when those guys are finalists. Should Fred be considered? You bet he should. But Fred's the ultimate tweener. He is. He's the ultimate tweener. Very good. Can't put them all in. Can't. So we'll see what happens there. But that, that's, that's how I look at the hall of fame. Is Baselli going to get in this time? I, I say no. History's taught us no. The one thing that Tony does have going for him is there's only one of their offensive linemen. So it's not like there's a log jam. And other guys have been passed before him, haven't they? Alan Fanica got in before him. Um, what was it? Uh, Hutchinson got in before him. So other guys have come along, have gotten in. Fanica and Hutchinson are the big ones. Kevin Mawai, I mean, he was a center, so it's a little bit different. But other guys have come along and have gotten in. So... Should Tony Baselli be in? He was one of the top three or four guys at his position for five years in the league. Is that enough? Is that enough? I, have I said this? Not over a guy that played for 12 years, it's not. But once we start to have these debates and there's fewer guys, if there's a chance to put Tony in, here's the chance. Because there's, I mean, to, to try to differentiate between a, a Tony Baselli and a DeMarcus Ware, well, who was better? Well, this guy went to four Pro Bowls. This guy went to four Pro Bowls. You look at the, the amount of Pro Bowls these guys went to, and Tony Baselli, you're you're gonna put in a guy somewhere along the lines here. You're gonna put in a guy that Tony Baselli went to as many Pro Bowls as. Just based on this, look, Jared Allen went to more. Demarcus Ware didn't go to more Pro Bowls than Tony Baselli. Andre Johnson went to more. Devin Hester went to more. Um, Rondé Barber didn't go to more. Leroy Butler didn't go to more. So th- there's an opportunity here to put Tony in and go, look, he went to four or five Pro Bowls. He only, this guy only went to four. You could pull that off this year. You could, you can, I don't want to say spin, but you can resume him in this year. You can. Well, again, I don't know. Again, Tony Baselli's election comes down to the debate between Jared Allen, DeMarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Tony Baselli. Two of those guys. Two of those guys. Uh, one to wrap with John Madden. John Madden, it, seldom do you find this in sports. John Madden's three-generational outlook. To my dad, John Madden was the coach of the Raiders. To me, John Madden was a broadcaster in the booth. Generation behind me, John Madden created a video game, or lent his name to a video game. It's bizarre. I was trying to think of anybody that's even close to that. And again, depending on the tier, to my father's generation, George Foreman was a mean boxer. Tough. To me, George Foreman was funny. He's funny. He's gorgeous George, and he's always smiling, and he was that cuddly old grandpa. And then the next generation, he made grills. <laughs> That's what it was. Now, it's some commentary right in there as well. George Foreman, John Madden, not exactly the same career arc, but you, the, what Madden was to the grill... Or what Madden was to the game as Foreman was to the grill. Now, the game has lived on in perpetuity. And here's fun for you. I'll give you a little fun fact. First player ever on the cover of Madden, because John Madden was on the cover for the first six or seven of these babies, maybe even more than that. First player ever on the cover, Eddie George. I I sit here and I think about John Madden's legacy, and every time 
he broadcasted a game, I learned something. The way he would telestrate, the way he'd draw. Now, this guy's doing this, this guy's doing this. The way he used the telestrator. John Madden was the first dominant user of the telestrator. That's what I remember John Madden for. Able to draw up plays. Now, watch this guy here. Watch it. Boom. Watch it. Boom. Watch this. It's like, oh, that, wow. He saw something that I didn't see. Because when you're watching, 99% of people that watch football, 99% are watching the ball. John Madden wasn't watching the ball. John Madden is a coach. The ball takes care of itself. John Madden's watching the trenches. John Madden's watching the linebackers. And the guy that does the best job of that in the the game today is Chris Collinsworth. But John Madden, look, even people during my generation growing up, John Madden, oh, he's circling the Cowboys' butts. Oh, what's going on? Everybody always complains about color commentators. Why? Because the color commentators on the radio of their favorite teams pander to them and guys on tv don't gary danielson hates alabama gary danielson hates florida because he's not out there pandering to you he's drawing up plays and saying this is what happened here look at this great play he's complimentary to the other guy college football fans hate tv broadcasters because they don't pander like their local yokels that's the truth kirk herbstreit he hates oh my god no he doesn't hate anybody danielson hates florida danielson hates alabama danielson hates a&m or or he pointed out the success of the team that you were playing. Collinsworth, I don't like him. He's, he's so arrogant. All right, well, I learn something every time Chris broadcasts a game. Learn something every time Herbie broadcasts a game. Learn something every time Danielson broadcasts a game. They're, they're, to me, they're fantastic. And Madden was the first guy that every time you watched a game, you learned something. And it was because of the Telestrator. And that still lives on today. Now watch this here. This guy cuts up here. This guy makes this move right here. Watch this move right here. I wish more coach. I, I wish more broadcasters did that. I did. I, I wish more guys in the in the booth would draw things up on the telestrator. But the game moves so fast now you don't really have time to do that. Now watch this. Boom. Watch this. And the other thing is we have so many people on TV and so many different games that the audience changes so much in and out of this game that. Falling in love with one guy isn't there. Oh, by the way, another guy that's up there at the list is Tony Romo. Tony Romo says what John Madden drew. Tony Romo is a telest- uh, Tony Romo is a verbal telestrator before the play, is what he is. I'm trying to think of anybody else. Successful marketing arc, successful TV arc, successful coaching or athlete arc. The only one I can think of is George Foreman. Fighter, commentator, grill. Madden. Coach, commentator, game. I'm sure there's other guys out there too. I'm sure there are. I mean, you've had endorsers of products, DiMaggio Coffee. I mean, guys that have endorsed products. But that branding, you know, what is it? Um, uh, the pizza uh, place that LeBron does. You you have certain guys that is it Blaze Pizza? If I screw that up, I'm sorry. You have certain guys that throw their name behind marketing. Okay, well, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this, I'm, which is great. But I'm just thinking of iconic things. Madden had the video game. Foreman had the grill. Three-tier approach. Harpod Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, radio, network. There you go. Looking back on things. I think Michigan beats Georgia 17-14. to 14, Take the points. Alabama beats Georgia. Or Alabama beats Cincinnati 35-17, 34-17. I think it's a good game. Bama scores late, final two or three minutes to put that thing away. But both games are competitive and both games are strong and enjoyable. I think you have a Michigan-Alabama championship game. So there you go. Enjoy it. Harpod Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, radio, network. Oh, got my Western Michigan alumni shirt on. I think we're going to notice that. Big win. 
Look back here, baby. For those of you that are watching this podcast, video cast, my quick lane bowl towel in the background here in the bar. Big win for my Broncos as they take down Nevada. Can't keep a great team down. Just can't do it. Enjoyed it. Getting, getting to go to a bowl game and watch them again. A lot of fun. I don't get to do that much uh, living in the Sunshine State. So it was neat to visit my family over Christmas and head into Detroit with my friend Keith, my cousin Dan, my dad, and, and able to consume that. A lot of fun. So there you go. Remember, stay clean, stay focused, stay strong. Frankenstein, have fun with your friends.